whistle is blowing, and that signals another episode of the Entrepreneur's Locker Room Chat with a Champion. Your host, Steve Brosman, a former national track champion, multi-Amazon best-selling author, and successful entrepreneur interviews leaders in their field to give you the tips, shortcuts, and strategies to help you change the game you play. And now your host, Steve Brosman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Locker Room Chat with a Champion. Now, I guess if having the number two business podcast in Australia and four million viewers are being named as top 10 female entrepreneur and a woman to watch in 2018 is a sign that you're a champion, then buckle up. We have a true champion with us, Jemima Ashley. Welcome along. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Thank you. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. <laughs> well, let's cut it short in case I stuff anything else up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Like, I would be happy for that to be on my uh, gravestone. That sounds pretty good. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us because I know how busy you are with uh, multiple businesses speaking around the globe, but let's kick it back a little bit uh, and let's just go back and say, okay, well, you've got uh, three degrees, a master's, and you started with the Australian Federal Police Force. That was one hell of a beginning. Yeah, not really related at all to anything I'm doing now, but not a bad one. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a law enforcement family. Everyone worked in law enforcement. So what's a girl to do? So I originally um, started working in prisons when I was 19 and 20. Then I went over to the courts. Then I went to Victoria Police and then the Australian, ultimately the AFP. Fantastic. Now, one of the questions that you it took you a trip over to Manhattan to have the aha the, the light, come across to the light side as in the entrepreneurship and you came back and then uh, started a jewellery, a jewellery design business. Tell me about that aha moment. Yeah, um, I, I, let me start by saying this. I truly believe this is the only time that stalking has ever paid off, ever. So I'm in Manhattan and I'm there for a few weeks and loving being there. You know, Manhattan is my, New York is my, um, is my motherland, right? It's my favourite place in the world. And I, every day, would walk past and walk home um, to my little Manhattan apartment, a uh, tiny, tiny apartment, and there was a silversmith who worked sort of in the street. Like, if you're standing on the street level, you can kind of look into this kind of, like, basement level jewelry, jewelry studio. And I had no idea what this bloke was doing. I had no idea. And every day I would just stare at this man. For, and then, like, ultimately I was getting less and less. He wasn't really paying attention, so I sort of stared at him for 10 minutes this went on for about a week. So eventually he like bangs on the window. He's like, get in here. It's like doing these hand gestures of get in here. And I came in and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you doing? And um, we sat with him and I made a ring. Wow. Uh, he showed me how to work with metal. And I knew that this was something I wanted to do. I had done woodwork and metal work at high school. We all had. Um, but I'd gotten, look, Look, Steve, I may not be young here. I'm not, I'm not, I thankfully haven't aged uh, too badly in the face, but definitely not really young. And I was of that age generation where they were like, you're going to be the only girl. If you do this class, it wasn't you can't do it. It was posed as you will be the only girl. Do you want to be that person? No, no one wants to be that person. So I went and did legal studies. <laughs> so <laughs> years later I was like, okay. So, um, yeah, eventually kind of had that full circle moment, came back to Australia um, bought an old computer desk with kind of the old keyboard thing that would pull out and um, turn that into a jewelry desk. 
started a business, which was initially just going to be jewelry for me and my friends. And then it was friends of friends and friends of friends of friends. And I was like, we need to now turn this into something. Wow. So now you are the creative director of Tang Designs, which is sensational. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still, um, it's, it's the business that I still do because I love it. Um, and it doesn't take up too much time, but it's the, it's a kind of creative outlet with having to kind of be too creative over the top. Um, and still allows me to do other things as well. So one of the things that uh, you're often asked to speak on is social media and using social media and it's, geez, it changes so quickly. Give me your take on it now for somebody that's, that's got a business, they want to get out there and what's some of the, the quickest things that they could do to make an impact that would make a, a, a positive impact on their business? Video. Video, video, video. Video is king. No matter what platform you are now using, make video. Video content is everything. Steve, I think you know a bit about this. You <laughs> do videos. Just a but, little um, bit, yes. Video, Facebook Lives are, are, are dominating at the moment. We are seeing Instagram move away from a photo version to now a video version. We are seeing Insta- like IGTV yep. will run YouTube in the next couple of years. We, are, you know, YouTube have now got a beta creation that they're doing with the studios at the moment. So even they've realised Instagram's now a threat and upping their game. We are, in the next five years, we're going to consume eighty percent of our content via video. Yeah, and and let's talk a little bit about that because you really are talking my passion. I mean, Pam and I did Australia's first ever video marketing courses in two thousand and nine. Yeah. And, you know, saying video, video, video back in 2009, I, I think I've still got scars on my forehead for beating ag- against the wall. But yeah. uh, now people really are needing to because obviously you can make such a quick connection with the people. You can get your message across quicker. Um, what is it that you think that is holding people back and what is the quickest way for somebody to get into it? There is so, so the first things that hold people back is that we um, are kind of shy. We get, we hesitate, right? It's really basic stuff. If I go, if I take a photo, I can take 45 photos in all different positions. <laughs> we can try different angles and how does my hair look. And we can filter, right? We get to filter and then mm-hmm. have this life that we can filter. And we get to add a filter to it. And we get to uh, pose and change things in the background. Video is just you really basic it is simply just us in front of the camera and what people don't realize is it takes practice and it doesn't get it well you're not just going to wake up and feel like you want to make a video (laughs) like you actually have to just start doing it um and I think also one of the things that we've seen a lot of is people hammering this Facebook live you must do Facebook live so then you can't you get people who are scared of doing the, the the immediacy of it immediacy of it and we can have hundreds of people watching in 10 seconds what we're doing. Well, if you're not comfortable doing lives, don't do them. Firstly, start practicing just in front of the camera until you get used to it. I think the other thing that stops people is really, really basic. They don't know what to talk about. <laughs> and we, yeah. you know, we are going to see, we have seen the rise of social media and then people got just, you know, oh, I've got to use Instagram and just posting photos. There's no strategy, there's no content, there's no plan. It's just scattergun approach. And we've seen that with video. What we're going to see is now a whole push for strategy on why you're doing videos and concepts like seeding, which are about to become really, really popular and you'll hear this term a lot in the future. 
Fantastic, because that's one of the big things that, yeah, having a strategy, not just getting up and, and blurting random stuff out, but I guess the biggest thing that um, I'm particularly thankful for and, and for other people is that lives have now made it a lot more forgiving. When people were putting up videos, they thought they had to be perfect, it had to be scripted, it had to be so professional. But now you really can't do that with live. And it's more about you being real, authentic, and just being yourself. But having a strategy and knowing what the hell you're going to talk about. Just, just um, there's a really basic tool that I do with a lot of my clients, Dave, and it's really simple. Is you have the camera on, but have three things that you're going to talk about. Make a heading and two, three things you're going to touch on. And if it could be like finding your why. Why is it important? And answer the question, why is it important that you know your why? How will it help you in business? And what do you do if you don't know your why? There are three things right now I could do 45 minutes on in a video because I know the content. The other thing is don't talk about stuff you don't know. I've seen many people kind of stumble through these videos. Oh, I watched a Tony Robbins video. Let me tell you about it. No, no. You just share the Tony Robbins video and give us your take. That's all you need to do in those situations. Let's get onto your podcast, which was the the business experiment, and it had four million viewers, which is you know quite reasonable. So yeah, we had. So let me be clear: we had a reach of over four million by the end of it, but we had um you know seventy countries. I think it crashed last week, and it wrapped up the end of last year. So yeah, I think it was one of Fakoshi's top ten business videos to watch. It and primarily it was um, dealing with women. Is that correct? It was uh, unintentionally focused at women. Like we right. didn't plan it, but two women talking about business is going to bring in a lot of chicks. Yeah, okay. So on, uh, on that, hmm. why is it that you feel that um, many women now are wanting to become entrepreneurs? Ah, that's a good question. Uh, extremely <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good <laughs> one. I like it. Um, for many reasons. One... Okay, so let me start. I did work in the public service. I have worked in corporate. I have done that whole thing so I can talk about this at length. We, all I need right now to start a business is, is this phone mm-hmm. and like $100. That's all. I don't have to deal with bosses. Yep. I can wrangle my children. I can cook. I can cook, clean my house. I do on average, 85% of the housework. As a woman, the statistics are saying 85% of, we do 85% of the household purchasing, 85% of the housework, 85% of the kid wrangling. We do 85% across the board. Now, I'll, Annie, I'll have to give you, uh, get this tape and give that to Pam. Yeah, look, I'll send it to Pam. There are different numbers here. But this is the thing. We do... Uh, 85% more around the house and in the household stuff. Then you add in, we have to go to work where generally we are paid less money to do the same job as our male counterparts. We are often found uh, to have more discrimination. We are seeing a huge rise in the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. And suddenly we don't have to work for anyone anymore. What technology advances have provided is the opportunity for women to work for themselves. I'm just going to summarise it very, very briefly. Control and self-worth. Bingo. We get to do what we want, when we want, and not have a dude tell us what to do. And particularly other women, because this is the other real issue for women, is that other women women sometimes sabotage other women. So it's become never easier to do what we want 
and to work for ourselves. Um, look, um, and here's the thing. I think people see it often as an easy option and I think people don't underestimate how much work goes into entrepreneurship to be successful. And I think people see the glamorous side of entrepreneurship and with fake book and Insta fake and all of this stuff yeah. that goes now. <laughs> It's very easy to make it look nice, Steve. I want to set up a lifestyle business. Yeah, right. Yeah, great. <laughs> it's the only job in the world where you'll, you'll work 80 hours to avoid working a 40-hour job, right? Yeah. Um, so on that, what are some of the, the things that are holding women back and some of the obstacles that they may face getting into this area? So uh, because I know we're going to have a listener that goes, oh, it's the same for women. It's not, and let me explain why. Um, the statistics from last year tell us that 97% of women fail in business in the first five years, whereas we are failing at twice the rate of men in businesses. Now, there are a lot of things that go into this, but the main one is that we, you know, we have good ideas. We're intelligent. We can multitask. We can mm. get multiple things done. We have good communication skills. We're, you know, we're good people at doing business. Intuitively, we understand things on a bit of a deeper level. Where I think women fall down mostly is burning out. Is that, as most entrepreneurs who are listening in and tuning in will have an understanding of, being in business is hard and yeah. it's going to take two years before you see money. And I'm not talking about profit. If you really go all in, you know, some, some idiot once, right, Steve, said you need <laughs> three months saved. That's all you need, three months saved. And <laughs> then... But like say three months worth of pay and then you'll be right. I would argue a year <laughs> because if you think you're going to be turning a decent profit within a year, please tell me your business plan and I would like to hear that and please I want to go in on you with you. Um, this is just the this is the this is the game. It, it's really hard and when something's got to give, when there's 85% of the housework and kid wrangling and stuff going on, something's got to give. The first thing will be the business. Now, the locker room is all about brain, body, brand and business and it's not all about, you know, you know being super smart, beautiful and, and all of those sorts of things. Brain is all about mindset. But my take on body is having your own personal performance and productivity. And burnout, you've mentioned, is a, is a big thing and particularly with women because if they're still doing their, their entrepreneur role, yeah. They, and if they're still doing 85% around the house, then they are going to, to burn out. What's some tips that you would give somebody that's starting a business to say, okay, what do I have to do to make sure that I don't burn out? Yeah, it's, um, it is probably the most dangerous thing about entrepreneurship is burnout. And I think that if we look at any of the businesses who have failed, I think if you skin back all the layers and look at all of the reasons they've provided, I would say majority will end up being burnout in one way, shape, or form. The number one thing that I would recommend for people straight away is set your expectations and get an understanding of what actually goes into this. Because again, one of the most, um, one of the businesses who has grown, it's something like 9,000%. It was like, it's not that number, it could be that number, but it was extremely high uh, business profitable, profitable turnover in Los Angeles. You can hire a private jet from the Los Angeles airport, LAX. Uh, you'll get a photographer and you will get a um, really attractive male or female uh, sort of cabin crew, right? Yeah. 
You never leave the airport. You can get your own private photo shoot on a plane on the runway. <laughs> and this is what people are spending their money on because they feel like, you know, oh, fake it till I make it. What a waste of money. So I think the expectation is this is what entrepreneurship let me be clear, it's sweatpants and, you know, early mornings and going for a run even when it's raining because you have not done any exercise for the day and you've got to get something in. The next thing with burnout that's so important is um, people think they have to work all the time. Let me be clear, you kind of do. You will have, you know, you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. It's more like do what you love, never really stop working. <laughs> I do work all the time. But I think people don't recognise that then we need time off that it's okay to say tools down and yeah. then, you know, that, I, you know, and know what your productivity time is. And that's, you know, something that you're a huge advocate of, Steve, is productivity. How many people do you know that are tired and like, oh, I've got to get some stuff done. And they like do three or four hours of work at about 20%. They sit in front of Netflix, the laptop's open and they're, they're kind of doing it, but not really. Yeah. But, you know, they've got to get this paper done, but, they're looking at the TV 90% of the time, right? I uh, to- to- totally agree because my post yesterday for my Momentum Monday was all about that. And I keep saying the business is a series of sprints. It's not a marathon. It's a series of sprints. Go hard, rest hard, go hard, rest hard. Now, I had a, a Friday, Saturday workshop with um, clients and students that I had to run. Sunday was up early, hit the bike for an hour and a half, got back, had breakfast, spent time with the family did some stuff, Hunter went off to hang with his mates, I went and had a massage, <laughs> didn't feel guilty at all and came back and sat down with my normal Sunday afternoon with a glass of red wine planning the following week so that Monday hit the ground running, totally refreshed, yep. knowing exactly what I had to do. It was all there. It was all ready. And that's what a lot of people don't do and I'm, I'm with you on this is yeah. you've got to schedule the time out and um, I know a lot of people feel guilty if they're not, you know, working around the clock. You can't work around the clock. And the analogy, you know, coming from a professional sporting background is it's often, if not more important, the recovery than the training itself. So therefore, you know, recovering and taking that time off and refreshing the brain, you'll hit the ground running so much more productive. So yeah, definitely on the same page there, Jemima. Yeah, I had, um, I, I got this, so I'm based in Canberra and at the moment we're going through winter, terrible, but we had a, uh, this flu virus that went around. Here's the problem. Every person had it in Canberra. And of course, true to fashion, I caught it, uh, cause I was networking out and about doing things, but I did it on, I sort of was really sick on the Thursday, Friday, Thursday, I had a speaking gig. And Friday, I was performing in a show. Unfortunately, I'm also a comedic actor. I do a lot of improvisation and I was a fairly big, important player on the stage. Here's the thing. I then, I know me, if I had gone to bed and slept for two or three days, I would have woken up and gone, okay, feeling a little bit better and been about 80% for two weeks. Well, I pushed through because I had committed (laughs) to doing these things. And so I was 20% for two weeks. I was rubbish. I spent two weeks on the couch. I never do that. But my, my husband was like, are you serious? Maybe you could just take a couple of days off. I'm like, no, I've got to get these things done. Look, I didn't, to be fair. We, we just 
this recovery stuff and taking and be honest about it. Don't bullshit yourself. Like we used to see people all the time who are, who are oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'll just keep working through it. No, 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 don't. Stop. Like hitting, hitting the break and recovering is not a bad thing. Yeah, and like all the athletes that I used to coach and they'd have a niggly injury. And I'd say, no, take two days off now, otherwise you're going to take six, six weeks off. It's a matter of you've got to know your body, you've got to know what your limits are. And, and again, if you can do it in series of sprints, because you can't get any momentum running a marathon, you can only get momentum by going fast. Um, yeah. One thing I want to touch on with you, and it's one of the Bs on branding, and I know you are very heavily into branding. How do you feel whether there's any holdback with women in becoming their own personal brand or whether you see there's a difference between guys and uh, males and females? What is there a resistance between the sexes? I, I just thought of this and I thought, no, there'd be an interesting question because you do a lot of personal branding and you work with a lot of women. Is there any resistance more one sex or the other? No, um, short answer, no, I don't think there is. Uh, I think there's no, I think what we see with women, again, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story to answer your question. Cheryl Sandberg, do you know Cheryl? She's the CEO of Facebook. Yep. She's a wonderful woman. She and uh, her roommate and her roommate's brother all took the same exam at university. And the girls study and they study and they study and they study and they um, see the brother going and they're like, oh, yeah, good luck, good luck. They sit the exam. They all leave at the same time and they grab a coffee after to talk about the exam. And the girls are berating themselves. Oh, I should have. And it was like on literature or something. should have spoken about this analogy better and the tree was meant to be a metaphor for this. Oh, no, I missed it. And the brother's like, nailed it. I did it. I've, ki- I've killed it. I loved it. They get the results back. The girls are both high in the 90s. The brother gets 78. He's thrilled. He's like, nailed it, done the best thing ever. The girls are reprimanding themselves again for not getting 100. And I think this story is really for me to highlight that a lot of my job, Steve, is honestly giving women permission to do the things they want to do. And I think women just for a long time have been told um, that we're bossy if we're assertive, if we've got Mm -hmm. leadership skills, we're um, being a little bit aggressive. No, if you so listen to men, you'd applaud this stuff. So a lot of it is just giving women permission and saying it's okay to become your own brand. And this was something that was highlighted to me recently in an interview when I was asked, and this kind of felt like a terrible moment as a woman and such an advocate for females in business. Question was, name some of your mentors. And I named them through and the, and the female said, do you not have a female mentor? It's awkward <laughs> because <laughs> not a lot of women are trying to do what I want to do. So this became uh, a bit of a, oh, well, be the change you want to see, right? So I think women just want a little bit more support when the branding kind of starts. And, you know, I still have moments of I'm not worth it, who do I think I am, this, you know, this, um, we, we buy into this story that, you know, we were, we were little girls who were called bossy and if we do this thing now and we do it publicly I mean I see your banners in the back when I got my banner I opened it up and I'm like two meters tall and my husband's like that's a big year I was like yeah and it felt a little uncomfy to rip that banner up and I was like I'm huge in this this is massive um, but it was just my insecurities coming out so 
I don't think there's any huge difference with women branding for men. I think women sometimes can take a softer approach. I've certainly worked with clients who pick real wishy-washy pastel colours. I'm like, you know, you've got your branding for blue. We know what colour that you wear. I'm a purple. Don't, you know, I was just giving the permission. Really huge part of what I do is just saying it's okay for you to want to be bigger. Yeah, I find that with some of the guys that I work with. I work with males and females and, and there's no real difference. Pam predominantly works with women and one of the first yeah. things in any of the programs that she runs when she's working with them to become uh, their own brand is belief. It's the first B. And first first B that they uh, they work on is the belief, the belief in themselves, the belief that they are that person. So that doesn't that that's part of the, the first B of mine as well, brain. That is you know, mindset. That's the first thing that we have to work on first is the mindset. Now, let me tell you, do you know why I have that banner behind me? Uh, tell me. I can you, guess you, As, as opposed to you probably say branding and all that. So now I work better when I have somebody looking over my shoulder. Oh, I love that. <laughs> this, and it's, it's big Steve, just checking in on little Steve and like, dude. Yeah, I'm fun. in an office by myself. I do work better when I've got somebody looking over my shoulder, even if it is a banner of me. That gets me gets me productive. Let's head into the, uh, the Fast and Furious final five. Some questions for you. And I know when we're doing our pre-chat, he said, oh, I forgot what the questions were. So anyhow, whatever comes out is going to come out. It's going to be a surprise for everyone, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've had some doozies. Okay, what non-business sport or activity would you want to be the champion of? Oh, um, Israeli Army Martial Arts, so it's called Krav Maga. I did that for a couple of years and I got to level four and I was training to be the only first woman in Australia to have level five. Training. I broke my shoulder during training, so I <laughs> oh. had to have surgery and I uh, didn't become the first woman, and so of course I threw a tantrum and never competed. <laughs> what uh, one personal thing that you would like people to know to better understand Jemima? Um, uh, me. Um, so I'm an improviser. By that was really my as much as I credit meeting someone in Manhattan. My first real taste was improvisation. And that was my first creativity. So uh, rules of improv are yes and. So I always come a, come from a place of yes. If you come and pitch me the craziest idea ever, I will start from a place of yes. Uh, and I'm really good with failure because you learn how to fail on stage all the time. <laughs> yeah, fail in a way that nobody knows. That's fantastic. Yeah, and like, it's, not, it's not fun if you see improv and everyone's, na- you don't have questions only seen and everyone's nailing it. You want someone to fail. Like you want them to look bad. <laughs> and then everyone has a laugh and you learn to survive having an epic failure in front of other people it's made making business decisions a lot easier for me sensational what one habit would you like to change i have a de- i have to have coffee in the morning and my brain doesn't work oh the other one i'm working on is biting my nails but i'm not doing a real good job of that either both <laughs> i'm failing at if i'm honest um okay this is probably a serious one who has had the most influence in your life um like my whole life would be my, my dad, Eric. He is my is an actual superhero. He's a police officer for 44 years and the best man I know. Um, business-wise, Gary Vaynerchuk. Fantastic. Awesome. Now, the last one is, if you were to be the answer of a quiz show question, what would you want the question to be? Um, who was, which woman has had 10 books in the New York bestseller list? At the same time. 
that would be one heck of a question. That would be one heck of an answer to, uh, I, to throw. I down if that was my uh, if that was my thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, if there are some women out there that uh, want to contact you about some of the things that you do, what's the best way to to find you? Yeah, best way to find me uh, through my website, JemimaAshley.com. Okay. Um, and you can make appointments there. You can go get free resources, free calendars, all these things. Sensational. Now, I know that uh, you and Timbo have got a podcast coming out shortly. I'll be sharing it with my people. So can you tell us what that's going to be about? Yeah, so it's called Level Up. It's focused at consultants and coaches who want to take their business to the next level. So kind of break down these seven levels of business and where do you want to see it with sort of person starting out and having an idea versus Tony Robbins. Where do you want to sit in this scale and really giving proper business tips and tricks that you can go and have a look at. So um, it's we've had a lot of fun recording it. I don't know if how useful it is between Tim and I. <laughs> there was at one point we just ended up having animal facts and uh, us laughing for 10 minutes, but hopefully everyone gets good takeaways from it. Uh, sensational. Now, we've had some good chats today. You've got some good takeaway for the people out there. Thank you so much for being on the Entrepreneur's Locker Room Chat with the Champion. And for those of you who are out there and you like this, make sure that you do subscribe. Please leave a comment so we know what your thoughts are so we can get some great podcasts for you out there real soon. Thank you so much, Jemima Ashley. Thank you, Steve. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Cheers. Well, that's full time on this episode, but don't forget to subscribe, rate, and we'd love you to leave a comment. Head over to the Facebook group, The Entrepreneur's Locker Room, where there'll be some great bonus content to help you step up and play a bigger game.